Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas, Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada. The former champion, Tyron Woodley, is trying to make a return against the surging and very hungry Gilbert Dorinho Burns. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Tyron finally back, man. It's been a while. It's been since uh, March, of, March of last year where he lost his belt to Kamaru Usman. And, uh, I mean, he needs to redeem himself, man. He, uh, I mean, that wasn't a championship-level performance. I mean, you know, quote-unquote, everyone knows that wasn't me that night. But, uh, you know, uh, Gilbert Burns has been hot lately since he moved up to 170s. He's been, you know, doing his thing, got some got some solid wins over, you know, a knockout win over Maya, which not too many people can say. So, you know, uh, Gilbert, Gilbert's been doing his thing. It seems like he's a, a new animal at 170, so I'm excited. Man, you know, with Tyron yeah, Woodley, you know, it's an interesting Willie. situation because – Obviously, he says that wasn't him in there, but this isn't the first time that he's pulled a stun inside the cage before. I know you remember the Rory McDonald fight. I know you remember the Jake Shields fight. And something that is kind of similar between those performances is that when you can shut a guy like Tyron Woodley down, you shut him down bell to bell. And I've never noticed Gilbert Durinho to be a pressure kind of guy, but this is the best moment in his career that we've seen up to date. So I'm very curious to see if he can follow the same game plan one of his main training partners, Kamaru Usman, did to go out there and defeat Tyron Woodley because, in a way, Usman kind of showed the blueprint for a guy like Durinho. Now executing it is a completely different story, Shaq. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. I mean, he does train. He does train with Usman. I'm sure Usman gave him some pointers, but we, we, we. I think we. It's safe to say he's not that caliber of fighter. But at the same time, man, he's been looking the best he ever has. This is the best stretch of his career, and I mean, he's coming. He's come a long day. Uh, come a long way from his punching bag days. I know you remember when he used to be scared to strike and. You know, uh, I mean, we're, you know, people were considering, uh, I think I bet on Sayeski against him. I mean, I was thinking bums like that could beat him. So, you know, uh, he's come a long way, man. He's been looking a lot physical. I remember his last uh, weigh-in at 155 when he fought Mike Davis. I mean, you could just see his face. He he said on the skills that he was done. So, you know, and then and I guess it was the best move he ever made. He took out a 20-0 Russian, Alexei Kunchenko. Uh, beat Gunnar Nelson on Euro turf, and then and then uh, knocks out Damian Maya, the legend in, in in Brazil. So props to him. And man, not only did he knock out Damian Maya, he got his back taken by Damian Maya, escaped that position, and then knocked him out. So very impressive stuff by Gilbert Durinho. And Tyron Woodley says that he's refocused, he's remotivated, he found his why again, and that he's going to go out there and absolutely destroy Gilbert Durinho Burns. So I can't wait to see uh, I can't wait to find out what happens Saturday night. And Shaq, before we get down to business, let's let them know that they can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com You can use that promo code Shaq50 for 50% off Shaq's plays. You can use my promo code Dan25 for 25% off mine. Or you can use our combined promo code 2020 to save 20% off our VIPs. Well Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Chris Gutierrez, he's 14-3, and three, and Vince Morales is 9-4. and four. Now, Shaq, again, this fight, uh, you know, normally these guys are bantamweights, but they're fighting at featherweight. You know, they don't want to cut too much weight. But currently, they got Vince Morales, a slight favorite at minus 115, and Chris Gutierrez is minus 105. Now, something I want to point out to you is that the odds makers opened up. Chris Gutierrez, the favorite here, all the action has come in on Vince Morales. Uh, I'm going to let you take this one first. Is this a situation where people are still overhyping this kid Morales for whatever reason, or should the line have been closer all along? 
Yeah, this is a good fight to open the card. Gutierrez, I mean, he was a guy that was in PFL uh, or World Series of Fighting back in the day, fighting, you know, the Timor Valiev's actually has a win over Timor Valiev. Uh, Timor dominated the rematch, but Kudi, he opened up his uh, UFC career with Hayoni Barcelos, and I think we kind of maybe got the wrong gist of him. I mean, I know he got submitted easily when they hit the map, but, you know, Hayoni Barcelos, let's just be honest here, is a top, you know, 15 guy at least, you know, so. Um, and then uh, that performance against Ryan McDonald, but the real test was him against a Freitas um, down there in Uruguay. I mean, you know, I actually bet to Freitas thinking that Gutierrez had a, had a suspect ground game. And, man, he answered those questions, man. He showed that he's going in the right direction. He even got on top of uh, – got on top of De Freitas a couple times. He definitely made improvements in that area. I've always known he's got good footwork. He's very fast. You know, he doesn't really like to box much, but he understands his niche, man. He knows that he's a good point fighter that can kick from the outside and his calf kicks are vicious. Now, this guy Morales, on the other hand, I think he's a tough kid, you know, from the Pacific Northwest, but, you know, I honestly don't think he's UFC caliber, man. I think that, you know, he lost to Domingo Pilar, got finished by Domingo Pilarche on a contender series, who's, you know, not in the... in the UFC I'm not sure but you know uh, uh he, he won't be soon if he is and then uh you know then you go into his fight with Song Yadong you know no 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 shame in that one you know uh, no uh win-win situation I mean if you lose the song that's uh, supposed to happen but I just think the kid's super one-dimensional man uh, he doesn't throw any kicks he doesn't check kicks and all he really throws is, is right hands now he's got a decent MMA boxing game but to succeed in the UFC man you got to have multiple facets of your game and I just don't think he has that uh, you know his last fight with Benito I think the reason why a lot of people are betting on him in this spot is because they feel as if he was robbed in that fight and uh, I mean I'm not gonna say I don't see their argument because he did drop him in that first round but what about the 30 calf kicks that Benito Lopez landed prior to that for four minutes and 59 seconds that he never checked you know I get it he did floor him so hey if you want to make the argument if you get floored you know you should win the round I get it but in Sacramento it's probably not gonna happen and then you know uh and he just doesn't really, his fight with Eamon Zahabi, I mean, he won that fight because Zahabi was pretty much done, man, from the Ricardo Ramos knockout. Uh, he, you know, he was, that was a vicious KO. I mean, go check that out. It made uh, Sports Center top 10 plays. But, you know, I just think Morales is one-dimensional with his right hands, doesn't have uh, any facets to his game. I think Gutierrez has the cardio, the footwork, the speed to land those calf kicks, get out the way, move, and, and take home this decision, man. I think he proved himself that he's a legit bantamweight against against De Freitas. And, uh, I mean, his ground game seemed to improve. And Vince Morales doesn't use those things. All he throws is big right hands. And, you know, yeah, they're big, but I think Gutierrez – for a point a point fighter on his caliber, I think it's a it's a I don't want to say an easy task, but it's a very doable task for him to come out here and get this win and, and, and run circles around Vince Morales. So I'll take Gutierrez by a, a comfortable decision win. Look, when I want to pick someone to go out there and beat a guy like Chris Gutierrez, I need someone that's going to put serious pressure on him and go out there and try to break him. And my issue with uh, Vince Morales is that he's too content to just sit back and honestly not do much and then occasionally he'll throw his hands and that's all he's got and it's like he's getting too much respect because you went three rounds with Song Yadong. He's getting too much respect because of the Benito Lopez fight and if you watch that fight, I mean I think Shaq said it well. That first round, yes 
Uh, Morales did land a knockdown, but he got picked apart for four minutes and 40 seconds of that round. Even after he dropped him, Benito gets back up, starts kicking him again, even ends the round with a spin. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things where Vince does not do enough. Now, I, I hear some cases for him with this smaller cage that's going on. Maybe this will let him close the distance better, but I think that... Uh, Chris Gutierrez is a much more educated striker, and while this could be the kicks of Gutierrez versus the punches of Morales, I think that Gutierrez' kicking game is serious. I mean, you can tell this guy has a very uh, real Muay Thai background. His calf kick game is very on point, and one difference between him and Benito Lopez, I would say Gutierrez has a better chin. Gutierrez doesn't stand upright, and Gutierrez, he handles adversity pretty well, unless you're talking about, you know, serious black belts like Hione Barcelos, which we know, you know, no disrespect to Vince, but he ain't on that level. You know, uh, Domingo Pilarte was out there uh, choking him out. So I I'm just saying, I, I think that Chris Gutierrez has a clear path here. I think he's going to calf kick him. I think when it's time to spin, he's going to spin. I think he's going to pick him apart for three straight rounds, go out there, win this decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Casey Kenny, he's 13-2, and two, and Louis Smolka, he's 16-6. and six. Currently, they got Casey Kenny minus 270. The comeback on Lewis Smolka is plus 230. Shaq, this is a really good fight. Uh, obviously, we've been high on Casey Kenny for a long time. We had him on the show before he was even in the UFC. And Smolka, I mean, we had him on the show a long-ass time ago, too. So I like both of these guys a lot. And this should be a hell of a fight because Casey Kenny, one thing about him, he's super solid, man. He's good everywhere. And... I'll tell you a fight that really made me gain a lot of respect for him, as if I didn't respect him enough already. You know, I've always thought this kid was the real deal. But that Manny Bermudez fight really upped my respect for Casey Kenny on a different level because when you think about that fight, Manny Bermudez is a guy that misses weight at featherweight. Manny Bermudez is a guy that misses weight at lightweight. So he's going in there against Casey Kenny, and, you know, he has to call the UFC in advance. Let's make this an 140-pound catchweight against this flyweight, Casey Kenny, right? And, uh... He misses weight for the for the catch weight, but bottom line is Casey Kenny's coming in there 140 on the dot. He's not really putting too much on after weigh-ins, whereas Manny Bermudez is weighing 155, 160 on fight night, and Casey Kenny went out there and out-hustled him. That That's real shit right there. I, I respect the fuck out of Casey Kenny for that performance, and I know there were spots when Manny was getting on top and this and that, but you see how much bigger Manny Bermudez was than him? Like... I have all the respect in the world for Casey Kenny for having on, for putting on that kind of performance. And then the Marab fight, Marab pushes a pace unlike anything I've ever seen before. So there's no shame in taking an L to him. And with Smolka, I got to give this guy a lot of credit too because, you know, at one point he was talking about how, you know, after he got his first 50K bonus, you know, he blew all his money. He had a bit of a drinking problem and it became a point, you know, it got to a point where we could literally fade him every single fight in cash. I mean, I know you remember the Mateus Nikolaou fight, but since that point, he got sober. He went back to the regional scene, got a couple wins. Now in his new uh, run in, uh, in the UFC, he's 2-1. and one. And even though he might have beat those guys like Sumajari and, you know, Ryan Main Event McDonald early on in his career too, I see the, the progress he's making. Look, he's put on size. He feels a lot more comfortable inside the octagon. And most importantly, he's focused. So that's one thing he's got going for him. But the issue with Smolka is not that he's technically outmatched, it's that he's oftentimes physically outmatched. And that might be the case here. And I do lean with Casey Kenny. The issue is that when the line's three to one, that, that that's when you start to get worried a, a bit about, you know, some sketchy situations. And Lewis Smolka is the kind of guy that'll be put in bad spots just so he can scramble out of them and get on top. And when he gets on top, man, he's got some vicious ground and pound. And the dude can scramble with a lot of fighters, too. So 
I would not count out Lewis Smolka, but I'll slightly lean with Casey Kenny here, Shaq. Yeah, man, it's a good fight. Casey Kenny, uh, been high on him for a very long time. He's just a solid guy. Doesn't not really like, you know, particularly good any like great anywhere, but he's just you know solid everywhere. And Smolka, he's definitely gotten a lot better. I I like him better at Bantams than uh than at flyweights. I think he just got too big for that cut. Casey Kenny as well, a former flyweight himself. Uh, yeah, I think Casey Kenny's definitely the better fighter here, better boxing, better wrestling, better jujitsu. It's just that this guy's smoking, man. He's a fish. You know, this guy, I mean, you could hit him in the head with a bat, man. The guy is still going to be there, man. He could be dominating him on the mat. He's still going to be squirming around for leg locks and you can't take any breaks. You got to make sure you, you know, put this kid away. I think match, match now is the only guy to finish him, right? Or a board too is uh, not board, but, uh, uh, Moreno, my bad. But yeah, man, I think uh, Smoke is very durable when he's focused. He seems to be in a better place. Um, so I could see this one playing out a little bit closer than the line indicates. And the length, the height of him does worry me, you know, if he starts to move forward. And, you know, maybe Casey Kenny's not in the best shape that he, you know, would normally be in if he had a full camp. But, uh, you know, but I did see Smoke a couple weeks ago on YouTube with his wife, man, having a big feast. So, you know, uh, <laughs> Are they fighting? What weight are they fighting at? Bantams? 35. 35, so they're going to cut the weight then? Yeah, so, well, yeah. We'll see, man. So I'm going to take Casey Kinney. I think he's the better fighter in every aspect. But Smoke is a very, very tough, durable guy. And I expect Casey to be in some tough spots in this fight as well. So I'll take Casey. But, uh, you know, one could say it's a dog or pass situation. Yeah, I mean, look, when it was you know, minus one something for Kenny, then it's a different conversation. But when it's almost three to one, I do th I do agree with you. It's dog or pass. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Tim Elliott. He's 15 and 10. And Brandon Royval is 10 and four. Currently, they got Tim Elliott minus 160. The comeback on Brandon Royval is plus 140. So Shaka, the former LFA flyweight champion, Brandon Royval is making his UFC debut. Against Tim Elliott, and uh, look, Tim Elliott, it's hit or miss inside the UFC's octagon. I know he gets a lot of respect because he's got a very fun style to watch. The thing is, he doesn't win a lot of fights. Uh, you think he's got a winnable matchup here, though? Man, this is an interesting fight to me, man. I, you know, I've watched tape on this one a couple of times. Um, you know, Roy Vall, I've been I've been a fan of Roy Vall's for, for a, a decent bit now. Not necessarily because I think he's going to be a future champion or anything, just because the kid fights, the way he fights is freaking insane. You know, he throws spinning elbows, uh, you know, he, he'll, uh, if he has one leg, uh, you know, caught, he'll, he'll jump with the other leg and try to kick or jump off the fence. Uh, you know, he, he's flashy, man. He is off his back. He... Uh, you know, likes to attack with subs. I think he's got like six subs. So I've always uh, been a fan of his fighting style when he was in LFA. And, and, I, and I figured, you know, the day that he'd be in the UFC one day. Now, Tim Elliott, man, he's a he's an interesting case, man, because he is tough. He is experienced. But, you know, like what I what I say, man, when all I can say about you is that you're tough and experienced and you're already, you know, what's his UFC record? Uh, two, three and seven, you know, some shit. I don't know. Four and eight, you know. It's like, you know, it's kind of, he's kind of in that middle ground, man. I think he's tough. He's been, he's seen a level of the sport that Roy Val could only dream of at this point, but 
Tim doesn't improve. I think Tim low-key kind of has a bad attitude as well. I think he has a very – it's kind of funny, man, because, you know, I, I've brought this up with you. That you remember that argument he had with Eric Shelton back on Tough? I mean, which, you know, Tim Tim is right in the, in the real scheme of things. I mean, look where <laughs> Eric Shelton is now. But, you know, it, it just shows that, like, Tim will – I don't want to say sell himself short, but – I don't want to say he's mentally weak either. I just think that he has a very carefree attitude that kind of, you know, maybe if he had a more serious attitude, he could, you know, his awkward MMA could maybe, you know, get him some, get him some more wins, man. But when you really look at it, this guy has been ran through by Ben Tenney, you know, the Davison fight, no shame in that one. Askar Askarov's undefeated. So these guys are definitely on a uh, different level than Brandon Royval. And, you know, when he did take that step down against De La Rosa, I guess he, I guess he did dominate him, but De La Rosa was coming in like a week short notice. Roy Val's coming in short notice. So it could be a good fight for him. It's just, man, I feel like Roy Val wants this a lot more, man. And I feel like Tim really doesn't necessarily care if he wins or not. And I think that Roy Vall's wrestling needs some serious work. I mean, he gives up pretty much every single takedown. But the kid attacks off his back with a lot of subs, a lot of arm bars. And Tim really doesn't hold guys down. Even when he fought Louis Smoka back in the day, that fight of the night. I don't know how he got fight of the night. I thought it was a real sloppy fight, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, you saw him losing position right there. And that was, you know, somewhat the uh, uh, one of the better stretches of his career, you know. And he was still losing position. Uh, Smoka, I mean, bro, Smoka was hitting the bottle, like he said, six times a week. He was, you know, blacked, <laughs> blacked out drunk at the time. And, and that's Tim's best win, you know, like De La Rosa. So, you know, I think that it's a, I got, I got, I got to take the dog here, man. I, you know, I know Roy Vaughn needs work on that wrestling, man, but I feel like he's got the, the want, the drive to actually, if this fight is, you know, one, one, or, you know, close going into the third round, I think Tim, you know, his last fight, he almost went to sleep. I mean, he says he has no recollection of the of the second and third rounds in that Askar Askarov fight, but props to him. He's in good shape. His body was able to stay running, uh, running to not to avoid that knockout. But I mean, he, even in that Askarov fight, like he, he tossed him a couple times and he was moving forward with his hands down, but you know, maybe he was concussed, but he just wasn't really the awkward MMA really hasn't gotten him anywhere, you know? So, you know, I think this guy, you know, is uh, an ultimate fighter warrior, you know, uh, you know, you know, he was able to take advantage of all those young kids on tough, uh, you know, when he already had the UFC experience. And what has he done since? Absolutely nothing. So I'm going to take Roy Vall here. I, I think I, I think Tim is a better overall fighter currently. But I think that if anything goes wrong, not saying that Tim can't handle adversity, but I just think that it will somewhat kind of get deterred. And Roy Vall, you can let a kid like Roy Vall get momentum. He'll he'll run with that and find a home for a sub. And Tim's been sub, Tim, Tim's been sub before. Or even you know, uh, I feel like they're kind of similar on their feet. They both make a lot of mistakes. But Roy Vallman, I feel like he's got better kicks. I feel like uh, he might slightly land better punches. So I'm gonna take Brandon Roy Vall here. I think I think he's a little bit more hungry. Yeah, look, this is a tough fight for me to call for a couple different reasons. Uh, with Roy Vall. I like the kid, but he needs a lot of work, and there's no doubt about that. But a couple positives he's got going for him is that he's been in some UFC-level fights. You know, he went five rounds with Casey Kenny. Now, granted, he got dominated in that fight. Also, granted, he took that fight on, on very short notice, but 
you know, I, I think some of the holes in his game were exposed, but I will also go as far as saying that Casey Kenny is a lot more technical than Tim Elliott in the sense that Casey Kenny is a very solid guy. He's going to maintain position, whereas Tim Elliott likes to take a lot of risks. You know, he gets on top. He's going to roll for He's going to try to go for an arm bar. He's going to give up position. He's going to do the whole bit. And on the feet, obviously, you know, he fights with his hands down. And the other uh, UFC level fight that, uh, that this kid Roy Vall had is he fought Joby Sanchez and he finished him in the first round. So at least we know that he's been in there with two, you know, guys that have UFC experience, mixed results, but he went five rounds with Kenny and he finished uh, Joby in the first round. So at least he's got that going for him. Now on the other side of things, before Tim Elliott was supposed to fight Askar Askarov. Now after the, the Askar Askarov fight. Now everyone's talking about Askar Askarov like he's a future title challenger. But before that fight, you guys got to remember, it was minus 120 apiece. And I slightly picked Askarov on the show, but my biggest concern was, you know, Askarov, I know he's Russian, but he's known for, you know, going to his back a lot. He's known for getting subs off his back. He's known for getting in bad positions and scrambling out. None of that shit even mattered against Tim Elliott, and those are the exact same arguments I'd use here for being hesitant to, to pick or play Roy Vall is that he fucks around on his back too much, you know, this and that. And it didn't even matter against Askarov. And it's funny because the one round where Tim Elliott got three judo throws, he got three takedowns in one round, two of the judges still scored that round for Askarov. There were two 30-27s, and in that first round, I mean... Props to Elliot for recovering because he got knocked out stiff. He tin manned and uh, somehow recovered midair, came back to, you know, not win any rounds, but at least, you know, finish the fight. Not finish Askarov, finish, you know, competing the 15 minutes is what I mean. So props to him. He's a very experienced guy. I think he's overhyped in the sense that people act like, he gave Demetrius Johnson this really tough fight. No, no he didn't, guys. <laughs> Demetrius Johnson mopped him bell to bell, except for maybe in the first minute of the first round. That's about the extent of it. So I, I think that Roy Vall's the hungrier guy, and sometimes it's not the skill of the man. Sometimes it's the will of the man. I'm going to lean with the underdog here. I think he's got more to prove. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Jamal Hill, he's 7-0, and and Clidson Abreu is 15-4. and Currently, they got Jamal Hill minus 120. The comeback on Clinton Abreu is plus 100. Shaq, this is one hell of a matchup, man. I'm really excited about it. Look, striker versus grappler on paper because we know that Jamal Hill got taken down a good bit of times in his UFC debut, and Clinton Abreu is not just a black belt. He's a first-degree black belt. You know, actually has a submission win over Johnny Walker. Got that win over Sam Alvey in the UFC as well. A lot of people thought he might have beat Gamzatov. Uh, when I rewatched it, I, I scored it for Gamzatov. But regardless of that... Clitson's got some good moments in there, you know, uh, when he actually decides to take people down, he's got some good shit. It's just that he rarely does, man. Clitson likes to go out there and brawl. And if he tries to do something like that here against Jamal Hill, he's going to get picked apart in a way where he might have to start coming out and shooting early because Jamal Hill, one thing I like about this kid a lot, and you know, we can criticize the fact that he leaves his chin up in the air or maybe his takedown defense needs work and this and that. But look, the kid's only seven and no. So every single time you see him, you're going to be seeing big leaps. And, you know, you can refer back to that Daquan Townsend fight. But like my whole thing with that is he was two and no when he fought Daquan Townsend. You, you understand what I'm saying, right? So he was so green into his career and he still went five rounds with, you know, a guy that had over 20 pro fights. That speaks volumes to me. Hold on. Sorry. That speaks volumes to me. And not only that, man, 
that performance he had on Contender Series, I was so impressed with the clinch work, the volume, and then that UFC debut. I said the volume. He landed over 100 strikes on Darko Stosic, and he kept that volume throughout the three-round duration. It's not like he came out hard in the first and then slowed down. So what I think is going to happen here is, look, I know Clinton's a smart guy. I know he trains at ATT. I think Clinton's going to come out here, probably take him down early, but if he's not able to get this first-round submission, I think he's going to gas out bad. And when he does and they get back up to the feet, Jamal Hill is going to light him up in a way where I think people are going to be talking about this kid as a potential future top 15 guy uh, down the line. So I think he's extremely talented. Uh, I like what he brings to the table. Just has to iron out a couple details. But look, I'm going against the public here. I'm going with Jamal Hill for the victory. Yeah, it's a it's a good matchup, man. I actually, you know, watched tape on this one earlier. Uh, you know, Clitson Abreu, man, I actually did think he edged out the Gamzatov fight, but that really doesn't even matter, man. I think that, uh, you know, sometimes when, you know, these guys' last names are of and, you know, uh, I honestly feel like Jamal Hill is better than both of them, man. You know, I feel like uh, Gamzatov, I know he's Russian, but he's just average to me in my opinion. And, you know, uh, Clitson, he's, you know, he's imposing, but man, the volume difference between these two guys is drastic. You know, Hill, although he's green and, you know, he, you know, he kind of did show that he was, uh, that, you know, the takedown defense needs a little bit of work. But like you said, man, he only had six fights at the time and all he really needs is training time, man. You know, all he needs is gym time, more rounds. And uh, those holes will get patched up. And I think his ceiling is way higher than Klitson's, even though Klitson's, Klitson uh, is fairly young. You know, he has been fighting for a long time, fighting those Russians in Russia. But, yeah, you know, I think Klitson, I kind of see this fight going similar to the Anka Lee fight. Uh, you know, Klitson did not like those sharp, those sharp, straight punches like that Ankaliva stone, you know, his nose got broken and he uh, started diving for the legs and pulling guard. And, you know, Hill's green, yeah, 100. So I understand why it would seem as if, uh, you know, Clinton was a live dog here. But even in the Sam Alvey fight, man, you could just tell that he's more of a, uh, you know, he likes to swing big hooks and he's going to probably try to play a similar game like Stasic, you know, try to explode every now and then and, and get a takedown. But in the meantime, Hill's just going to be racking up with the teeps, with the jabs, with the straights. And the and the point, if he goes to decision, I'm, I'm really confident that he's going to get the win here. It's just a matter of him not going down. He is a little prone to a, I guess, well, this is southpaw and southpaw, so I guess it would be a, uh, a, a right hook this time. I mean, you know, the... Uh, the Stasic fight, he got caught with a couple left hooks, but he ate the shots fine. I, I don't think he's taken any serious damage yet in his career, so I think he can eat those shots, and I think that he's going to win a decision for sure, man. If this hits the car, his volume is just way too much, unless Clitson can get consistent takedowns, but I'll give him props, man. He actually took down Sam Alvey and took his back, which is, you know, somewhat a difficult thing to do to take Alvey down. Um but he, he kind of like rushed a submission attempt there and Alvi ended up getting on top of him. So, you know, I feel like Clinton is just kind of a good a good opponent for uh, Jamal Hill to, to move up the ranks here. You know, I think that Jamal Hill's the guy that they want to, that they want to not necessarily promote or anything, but just, you know, the guy that they actually have plans for, you know, I think Clinton Abreu is just a, uh, a gatekeeper for him. So I think that Clinton, 
I, even though Jamal Hill got taken down, I'll tell you what, man. He showed me that he's got an instincts to – he knows what to do to get back up. You know, he, he got to stop, you know, going down, but he knows what to do to get back up to his feet. He's got the proper technique, in my opinion. And like I said, all he needs is just more training time, more rounds, and, and those holes will get patched up, man. Like you said, he was fighting Daquan Townsend at 2-0, and so, you know um, – I think that the the ceiling is very high for this kid, and I think he comes out here and and puts an ass whooping on Clinton, man, with the teeps, the straights, and he just got to stop throwing lead uppercuts, you know, and and he'll be good. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Daniel Rodriguez, he's eleven and one, and Gabriel Green is nine and two. Currently, they got Daniel Rodriguez minus three fifty. The comeback on Gabriel Green is plus 290. Uh, so, Shaq, initially, Daniel Rodriguez was supposed to come out here and fight Kevin Holland, who was riding hot off momentum off that knockout of Fluffy Hernandez. Now he's welcoming a newcomer to the UFC. And, uh, you know, we know oftentimes the hit rate for these newcomers ain't the best. And, you know, I'll take it a step further. If you go on Gabriel Green's Instagram, as recently as May 7th, uh, my guy was getting uh, free cheeseburgers with bacon and fries uh, from some restaurants. So I know he has hasn't been dieting he even pulled out of a fight earlier this year due to shoulder injury and the last time he competed was 2018 so I can't confirm how he's gonna look out there on Saturday night but one thing I do know about Gabriel Green is that he's got 11 pro fights and all 11 fights have ended inside the distance so win lose or draw this guy is very exciting to watch and normally he's a career lightweight look he fought most of his career at 155 pounds even has a winning record in Bellator went two and one in Bellator but uh, on the flip side, got knocked out by Jalen Turner in about 30 seconds. Uh, and that was just one of those fights where they stood and traded in the center of the cage until one man fell, and it happened to be uh, Gabriel Green that fell. And I feel like if he tries to do something similar here against Daniel Rodriguez, who is just an iron man, you know, da- Daniel Rodriguez is one of those tough Latin warriors that is just uh, – very, very durable, hits like a truck, and uh, you really got to get the guy out of there or hope that you can out-volume him to a decision. And for Daniel Rodriguez, what I like about the guy, because a lot of people aren't really sold on him. They kind of feel like that Tim Means fight was a fluke, and, and, and I disagree, man. You know, I saw his performance on Contender Series against a six foot three opponent, went out there, picked the guy apart. You saw his fight on Combate America. The guy's been doing his thing, and then in the UFC debut, he stood toe-to-toe with Tim Means, which is oftentimes a no-no for a lot of these fighters, and it was Daniel Rodriguez that was going out there and dropping Tim Means, and even went out there and showed him out in the second round in New Mexico and Tim Means had a lot to prove that fight so I'm pretty damn impressed with this kid Rodriguez and uh, I think obviously he's had more time to train he's more focused he's a real welterweight so I I agree with him being one of the biggest favorites on this card and you know assuming no flukes happen I think he's going to come out here and stop Gabriel Green yeah you know Gabriel Green he's probably just not ready to go seems like he's very exciting a a tough uh a tough warrior but you know he's he's just not in shape he's not ready to go and you know the rate of these uh guys coming in on super late notice man it's very low so you gotta go with uh, daniel rodriguez he's got some power floor to means if you can floor to means in your debut like that man it's very impressive so you know i mean tim was out there wobbling man. tim looked fucked up in that fight man he was he was wobbling bad after that first round i don't think he knew where he was man so uh, I got Daniel Rodriguez here by first round stoppage. 
And something else I want to bring to the table on this kid, Daniel Rodriguez, because people will say, well, yeah, it was two days short notice for Gabriel, but it was a week short notice for Daniel. But the thing is, I've been following Daniel. He actually lives with Cowboy Cerrone at the Bad Motherfucker Ranch. So he's training in elevation every single day. and He's been waiting for a call this entire time. So don't expect Daniel Rodriguez to be out of shape here is all I'm saying. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between the former title challenger, Caitlin Chukagian. She's 13 and 3, and Antonina Shevchenko is 8 and 1. Currently, they got Antonina Shevchenko minus 135. The comeback on Caitlin Chukagan is plus 115. Well, Shaka. You know, oftentimes with Caitlin Chukagan, she can bullshit these judges with those tennis sounds, you know, run around the ring, hot, hot, and they'll give her the decision. But this time, uh, I heard Valentina has got a specific answer for uh, the tennis sounds because, you know, any time that Antonina even attempts a strike, Valentina's going to scream, hey, hey. So I think they got the tennis sounds covered. Uh, what do you think, Shaq? Yeah, I just hope they got a fucking mute button for her ass, man, because she's a... Uh... She's a little ridiculous with those A's, man. But uh, <laughs> even when even when uh, Anna Nina gets hit, she says A, hey, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a close fight, man. You know, uh, it's interesting that Chuk uh, is fighting her sister after, uh, you know, she just got, you know, her ass handed to her. But no shame in that at all. Uh, Chukagian, you know, clear top three in that weight class. Uh, you know, like you said, kind of likes to... You know, I actually thought she won the the Joanne the Joanne fight straight up, so I, I don't really think there was much. Uh, I said I don't uh, I don't really think the uh, Joanne fight was a the JoJo fight was a, a bullshit decision by any means. I actually thought she won every round, surprisingly. But uh, you know, this is an interesting fight just because Chukagian really doesn't necessarily push for the takedowns, um, and she really doesn't clinch much at all either. She actually you know, gets taken down in some of her fights. She got taken down by uh, Maya. She got taken down by um, by Joanne as well, you know, so uh, by Lauren Murphy as well. So she, she, you know, that's one of the holes in her game as well by Valentina. So this is going to be a striking fight. Personally, I don't think Chev's striking for MMA, you know, is as hyped up as her uh you know, kickboxing striking, you know, it's two different sports. And I, I do think she's got a little bit of a kickboxing chin as well. Um, but this fight just screams split decision to me. You know, I feel like uh, both girls, it's going to be one of those fights where you really don't, uh, don't really know who's winning, man. I, I think Chev kind of struggles to pull the trigger a lot. She likes to back up and shoot. Uh, at least she'll move forward. She's got, to be honest, in my opinion, she's got better footwork as well. Um, the boxing is about even to me. Chev really just likes to stick to the left and Chuka. It's just, I think this is going to scream split decision. I'm actually going to go with Chukagian, man. I think that, uh, you know, she is the underdog, but, and she couldn't look, she might be a little mentally, uh, you know, whether the fact that she's fighting the sister and she did take a lot of damage in that fight. But man, I, I'm just not sold on the chef on 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 big on big Shevchenko's sister. You know, I think that she's really overrated. Um, but we'll see, man. It's gonna be a striking fight. She really doesn't lose much striking fight. She's not gonna really have to worry about the takedown. She is really good in the clinch. I, I'd say she's got the advantage there. Not too many girls are gonna have her uh, her level clinch game. But I think Chu's got a lot of good footwork to kind of weasel around and move and we'll see man but I, i'm gonna go with chukagan i i think she should be the favorite 
Well, she actually opened the favorite. The line flipped uh, very, very early on. And look, it's interesting because obviously Chukagan is the more accomplished fighter in mixed martial arts, no doubt about it. And uh, but but it's kind of interesting because, you know, we're going to talk about the stylistic matchup in a second. But I feel like uh, the Shevchenko sisters have a lot of intel on Caitlin Chukagan because not only did, you know, Antonina do this camp for Caitlin, but she also helped Valentina prepare. So she's been studying Caitlin Chukagan for the last however long how you know however long that fight was ago so they know uh chukagan like the back of their hand but now going out there in the octagon and executing is a completely different story but where i feel like this style you know the stylistic matchup might uh be advantageous for shevchenko is in the sense that chukagan has landed zero takedowns in her entire ufc career so that would be the kind of area to exploit in my opinion for shevchenko now now don't get me wrong you know, Chukagan's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, and for the most part, she likes to, you know, play off her back and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if she came out here, changed things up, looked for some takedowns. But since I haven't seen it before, I got to go off what I've seen. And I feel like Antonino will be able to control the range, you know, mix in those knees from the tie clinch and kind of shut down Caitlin Chukagan. I also feel like the smaller cage will leave less room for, you know, Chukagan to run around. So I'm, I'm going to agree with you that it's going to be a split decision, but I'm going to edge Antonina on this one. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Mackenzie Dern. She's 7-1, and one, and Hannah Cyphers is 10-4. and four. Currently, they got Mackenzie Dern, minus 450. The comeback on Hannah Cyphers is plus 360. Look, all I'll say about this matchup, Shaq, is that, well, firstly, shout out to NFC veteran Hannah Cyphers. You know what I'm saying? Used to knock chicks out back at Wild Bills, so got a lot of respect for her. But look, as far as Mackenzie Dern being minus 450 in the spot, while this fight is contested on the feet, I don't think it's going to look like a minus 450. Now, don't get me wrong. Mackenzie hits hard. She likes to brawl, and maybe she could get a knockdown of her own, but I just feel like... Throughout the duration of the stand-up portions in this fight, she's not going to look minus 450. But if this hits the mat one time, she's going to look beyond minus 450. She's going to look minus uh, 4,500 if this hits the mat one time. Take it a step further. She's only got 8% takedown accuracy in the UFC. But, you know, look at the level of opponents she's fought. Amanda Rebos, a serious black belt. Yoder is a good scrambler herself. Uh, and Bobby Cooper, she didn't even need to take her down. She knocked her down, right? So... This, this fight's interesting uh, because I wouldn't look at that 8% takedown accuracy because you saw girls like Angela Hill going out there and taking out Hannah Cyphers. So, look, as long as she can get this takedown, the fight will be over shortly after. So I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern via submission. But I guess I got to say it's it's very contingent on this takedown check. Yeah, I think Hannah's, you know, managed. I get I get it. It's quarantine season and they, and they want to help out. But I just think, you know, as far as, like, Hannah's, you know, trajectory. I think it's a bad move, man. I think, uh, you know, I'd stick to fighting the, the Jody Escabels and the, um, and the Pollyanna Vianas, you know, stay in that realm. But, uh, you know, hey, she wanted to take a fight against Mackenzie. Mackenzie should win this fight. The only issue with Mackenzie is, uh, me and you both know this, that word on the street is Mackenzie don't like showing up at the gym, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, these, this is coming from former teammates of hers. And, you know, I mean, she got she got kicked out of the lab because, I mean, she didn't show up. She never showed up to practice. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, look, let's say if she theoretically, like, didn't train, that didn't train, would she still beat Hannah Cyphers, you know, off the couch? Um, I mean, like you said, it's contingent on this takedown. 
Um, Hannah Cyphers does have a lot of knockouts, uh, but she's very short in McKenzie. Uh, McKenzie's got some knockouts as well. She's got some good wins too, man. I think she beat De La Rosa, uh, you know, the the wins you uh, mentioned earlier before. So, yeah, you got to go with Mc, uh, my girl Thick Kenzie, not McKenzie. But, uh, you know, uh, I think McKenzie just uh, – there's a – I'm not saying, you know <laughs> – I think there's a chance she could give a little bit more of a sweat than uh, expected just because she is coming off a devastating ass whooping against Rebos. Maybe the confidence is a little bit low, but she seems real comfortable, man. I think she, you know, Hannah, I like, I, you know, we love Hannah, you know, NFC vet knocking chicks out at Wild Bills in, in, in my home in my hometown, matter of fact. So, you know, we got love. We got love for Hannah Cyphers out here, but, you know, I, I think she's outmatched and, you know, uh, I got to go with uh, Mackenzie Dern by, by finish. You know? Next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Roosevelt Roberts. He's nine and one and Brock Weaver is 15 and four. Currently, they got Roosevelt Roberts minus 360. The comeback on Brock Weaver is plus 300. So, Shaq, this is interesting, man, because, look, if it's a pick em, I'm leaning towards Roosevelt Roberts for sure. But we're not talking about a pick em. We're talking about plus 300 on Brock Weaver. Um, I mean, is there value here? Because Roosevelt's still very green in his career. And even those fights he won, I mean, he ran through Daryl Horcher. But, like, the last one against Yakovlev, it came down to the wire. Even the loss against Pichel came down to the wire as well. You think there's a chance this fight against Brock could be a very close fight uh, heading into the third? Yeah, you know, I think Roosevelt's definitely the more skilled guy. I've never really been sold on Brock Weaver. I know everyone hyped up his uh his contender series fight, but I actually think he's better at 170s than he is one. Are they fighting at 155s? Yeah, I think he's better at 170s than he is at 155s. I mean, if you look at his record, he's got a lot of good wins at 170s, but then when you see him fight at 55, he's going to he's losing to like Socrates Pierre and going to split with Crazy Horse. So, like, I think uh, and firstly, just skill wise, yeah, he's got some good hands, but you know, I think he's very chinny. I think that he has a lot of mental lapses. And actually, if you guys go back his breakdown for the uh, the Rodrigo Vargas fight. I said, this guy is not the hype job that you guys all think he is, man. I'm telling you, he's been knocked out several times before as, you know, as an amateur, as a pro. Um, and I know he's had a, a nice little comeback story, man. But I know, you know, he's kind of he's from Alabama. So, you know, he's uh, fighting like guys, you know, that we that we're familiar with somewhat. And uh, I just think he's been fighting a very low level of him. Low level of MMA. Not saying that uh, Roosevelt Roberts is much higher, but man, even though Yakovlev and Vince Pachel are you know gatekeepers at best, those guys got a are just different caliber fighters in my opinion. And Roosevelt has such a much higher ceiling that I think he's only had he only had like seven eight fights going into those fights too, man. So I think that the longer it's kind of like Jamal Hill, the longer this guy just gains more experience, the more rounds he gets, he's gonna be much better. And I think that Brock Weaver. Just just isn't on his level skill wise in any sense, you know. I I know he's got some decent hands, but man, he what what was that debut about, man? I mean, he was getting smashed on by a by a uh, by a Mexican journeyman, you know. So you know, uh, shout, shout out to Kazula Vargas, man. What the what the hell was he thinking, like? Dude, he's he's like on the ground and you and you just blatantly knee him and you know he's known for shit like that too. If you know, we'll go back and watch some of his past fights. You know, I guess in those Mexican leagues they just don't give a fuck. But you know, I wasn't shocked by the way that fight was going. You know, I, I saw some of Brock's previous fights and some of them were ugly. I mean, some say he's come a long way. I don't think so, but I gotta go with 
Roosevelt Roberts. Yeah, I think he's by far the more talented fighter here, and I think you're going to see a better version of him, a better version of him uh, every time he gets in there. Beating Alexander Yakovlev, look, Yakovlev ain't all that, but beating him while you're, you know, only seven, eight fights into the game is very impressive to me. In Russia as well, man. You know, you know. They say black men ain't supposed to go down to Russia, man, and he went down there and got the win. So props to him. So I, I, I got Roosevelt Roberts here, and I'm going to say by finish. Yeah, look, this is a very interesting fight, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, very, very talented prospect. Uh, but, you know, it just needs some seasoning, and this could be a fight where he goes out there and shows out. I think what I'm most worried about when it comes to Roosevelt Roberts is that you know, sometimes in these dog fights, it can be 50-50. It can be back and forth. He can be put in some bad spots. Now, I'm not entirely sold that Brock Weaver is going to put him in those spots, but at plus 300, I think now it's officially a dog or pass situation. I think originally when the line first came out, it was favored or pass, but at this point, it's dog or pass in case that there is a chance it, it plays out kind of close. But, you know, I'm not as low on Brock Weaver as you and, and some are. You know, I know a lot of people think that he absolutely sucks and this and that. But when I watched him fight, uh, you know, Tyler Hill on uh, Island Fights, I was like, yeah, this guy's probably going to get signed in the UFC. And he's got a great personality, too. And his fight on Contender Series was a lot of fun. And at least they're giving him, you know, somewhat of an inexperienced guy. The issue is that this inexperienced guy has a way higher ceiling and probably trumps him athletically. So I do lean towards the favorite, but I kind of think it's a dog or pass situation. And if it turns into a dog fight, that's where Brock might be able to get the upper hand. It's just a matter of that actually happening. Because while Roosevelt's fresh, the kid's hell on wheels. So I'm very excited to find out what exactly happens uh, in this contest. Now, next up in an 150-pound catchweight matchup, we got Billy Quarantillo. He's 13-2. and two, And Spike, the alpha ginger Carlisle, is 9-1. and one. Currently, they got Billy Quarantillo, minus 130. The comeback on Spike Carlisle is plus 110. Uh, Shaq, I got to tell you what, man. This kid, Spike Carlisle, really impressed me in that UFC debut. And when you compare that debut to a lot of the regional fights, doesn't even seem like the same guy to me. Now, granted, you don't always learn a lot from a first-round finish. Sometimes you need to see these guys go the distance. But, like, he had first-round finishes on the regional scene, too. And physically speaking, he just looks so much better in that UFC debut, the composure. Uh, and also, that high kick, that was some serious fucking technique for him to get that leg up there on a six-foot-something man, uh, the way he did to Alon Cruz. I was very impressed, so... I'm not really sure what to think, man, because it's like you go back and you watch his the last time he went three rounds and he was gassing out really, really bad. But you also consider his physique kind of looked different than it does in the UFC. And one thing about Billy Q, the reason I bring up the gassing is because Billy Q is a comeback kid. You start to slow down on a guy like Billy Quarantillo and he will tee off on you. It's just will Billy be able to make it to that point where he can capitalize on a gassed out spike or is he going to get sparked early, man? Yeah, I think this is one of the more tougher fights to call. I like both guys, man. I think they're both about even, really, to be honest. Like you said, Spike, like he's got a knack for these crazy knockouts early on in the first round. And I've seen Billy Q get his ass beat on numerous times in the first round. Um, but I've also seen Billy Q, you know, kind of turn into the white Cheeto Vera, you know, in the late rounds and, and turn up and go to the body on these guys and, and really butcher them. You know, Spike, man, I feel like uh, it's kind of a lot of people struggle to take him seriously because of the whole alpha ginger thing. You know, I made that mistake in his debut as well, man. You got to take these gingers seriously, man. You know, uh, 
these uh these little gingers can fight, man. You know, uh, I, I like the kid's mental, man. You know, I, I, I never thought he sucked or anything. It was just the gimmick, the whole, you know, these outfits that he'd uh, come to the cage in and, you know, uh, were very interesting. You almost thought he was like, you know, just hard to take him seriously. But, you know, the kid's definitely got some Muay Thai credentials he's, and, he, and he can wrestle. And I'll tell you why he's got that physique change is because he's actually been working with uh, – Old, old, uh, old Ipo Shaw's old strength and conditioning ch- uh, coach, uh, what's his name, Sam Calvita, the, the 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 secret scientist. That's why that's why he's got that physique change. So you know, uh, Spike Spike could be on some. Uh, Spike might have fought Alan Cruz on some uh, some uh, <laughs> on some uh, on some let's say some good vitamins man. <laughs> on some Ipo Shaw supplements, but. Uh, Man, this is a good fight. Like you said, it's kind of – but I've seen Spike go in the late rounds too. He can wrestle as well. Uh, you know, he can stay on top. And Billy Q does give up takedowns. But, man, Billy Q, I love the spirit that the guy fights with in the late rounds, man. It's just not every time you're going to be able to do that. And if you do something like that against Spike, I just have a feeling that Spike might spark him unconscious, you know. So I'm actually going to go with the underdog here, Spike Carlisle. I think it's a 50-50 fight. You know, I, I got a lot of respect for Billy Q. He's come a long way. I remember, uh, you know, seeing this guy a few years back, you know, when he was getting knocked out against uh, Michel Canones. I, that's my, that was my first introduction to Billy Q. Um, and, but he's got some solid wins on his resume, man. He didn't fight easy competition on his local scene. I mean, he beat, like, all good guys. He beat Mark Stevens. He beat, you know, eight and two guys, nine and two guys, unlike in Cali where, you know, where, where Spike and them come from, man. They fight bums, man. So, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if this went either way, but I think Spike, not saying that he's got more momentum, but I, I just feel, I feel, it's just more so off vibes, man. Uh, I just feel like he's going to come out here and get a first round stoppage. But we'll see, man. I got a ton of respect for Billy Q. You know, he, he trains with Frivola. Those guys are super intense. And uh, and I wouldn't be shocked if it went the other way. But I'll, I'll just go with the underdog. Yeah, look, man, you bring up some great points. Uh, and I agree with you about this dude's vibe. Uh, Spike Carlisle definitely seems like he might have that it factor. I kind of need to see it one more time uh, to really buy into it. Uh, but I definitely, like, when you hear him talk, he's got that confidence and that composure and that mean streak that you like to see in guys coming into the UFC and he might turn out to be something special so I kind of need to see it and Billy Q I mean you're so right about his regional experience I mean the guys you mentioned he also knocked out comma worthy so it's like this guy's got serious experience even had a failed stint on the ultimate fighter won his first fight lost a tough decision to Saul Rogers so this guy's really paid his dues had to come back and make another impression on you know the UFC finally got a shot when you know he overcame adversity and then ended up running through Kamuela Kirk on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender, another comeback finish for Billy Q. So he's got a knack for those. And with Spike, there's definitely a chance he gets this first-round finish. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, I need to see how he looks in these later rounds in the, with this new strength and conditioning program. Hey, maybe he's got the cardio down pat now. It's just last time I saw him go three, it wasn't the best look. You know, he was flopping to his back a bit. So I'm really not sure. Nothing would surprise me here, and I'm not going to count out Spike. I think he's very talented, and I think he does have potential to get the first-round KO. I've just seen more in all areas from Billy Q. So I'm going to say he weathers some very sketchy situations where he might even get dropped in that first round. And if he's still hanging on, if he's still conscious, I think he can take over the second and third, maybe even get a finish of his own along the way. He is a black belt in jujitsu. 
Granted, Spike's been training with Benil Dariush on his ground game too, so Spike's no joke on the mat either. It's a tough fight for me to call. I'm going to slightly lean with Billy Q. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Blagoy Ivanov. He's 18-3, and three, and Augusto Sakai is 14-1. and one. Currently, they got Augusto Sakai minus 115, and Blagoy Ivanov is minus 105. So, Shaq, initially they opened Blagoy Ivanov, the favorite. And, I mean, it's still a pick but it's a slight lean on Sakai now. So, a lot of public action. Look, the public's been impressed with how he performed against Marcin Tibura, even went out there and, albeit controversial, won the decision against Arlovsky, knocked out Chase Sherman. So, he's been impressing a lot of people with his UFC run. But one thing about this guy, Blagoy Ivanov, when you talk about durable, when you talk about someone that can take a shot, you talk about Blagoy Ivanov. I mean, went five rounds with JDS, took the Black B shots and made it the distance. Uh, the guy is tough as nails. Uh, which way are you going? in this heavyweight co-main event yeah this is a good fight you know i've been high on sakai since since both of these guys matter of fact are, are uh we're both released by bellator you know I, i've been following these guys for for a long time sakai i remember his fight with congo where he got held against the fence for uh 15 minutes and he was complaining at the ref you know how check likes to likes to stall out there sometimes you know wee wee but uh, you know i think that uh I think that uh, this is a great fight, man. I think Blagoy Ivanov, you know, I was a little bit higher on him in the past as as versus now. And the reason why, man, I think he's super one-dimensional. He throws no kicks. You know, he uh, likes to back up pretty much the entire time and look to counter with the, you know, with the right hook straight left or, you know, uppercut straight left. And, you know, he backs up the entire time. He takes no forward steps. And, you know, that's a that can work sometimes. But the, these are the reasons, you know, he... He lost to JDS, which was expected, but, you know, uh, the Black Beast fight, man, you know, he was able to get those takedowns, and it, it's a certain amount of stock you want to put into that, because I think at this point, we know that Black Beast has no initiative to to, uh, to stuff takedowns, but what happened every time they, they got back on the feet, man, he backed up, and Black Beast would wail on him, and then the fight with Rothwell, you know, I think it was a very close decision, could have went either way. But Rothwell, you know, if he had better footwork and if he wasn't getting so square all the time, you know, he probably would have avoided getting his face bloodied up in the in the fashion that he did. Not saying that Blagoy's face wasn't fucked up either, but, you know, a lot of people thought Rothwell won the fight. But the reason why he didn't win is because he keeps moving in square and he keeps getting caught with these left hands coming in. Now, I think Sakai can play both styles, man. He can play that methodical Muay Thai game from the outside. But the thing I like about Sakai is the adjustments, man. He's got different facets to his game. You saw in that Arlovsky fight in that first round, Arlovsky, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll get to this later, you know, Sakai at the time was weighing about, you know, he was cutting the 265. I mean, uh, you know, behind the scenes, I actually think that uh, – well, I'll get to it, but you know he was cutting. Uh, basically, he was cutting to 100, 265 pounds. Now Arlovsky, I know a lot of people like to make jokes about him, and he, you know, he loses every fight pretty much, whatever this and that. But Arlovsky, man, against these big, heavy guys that weigh that much, man, he's got a big speed advantage, and I like the adjustment that Sakai made. Uh, between rounds one and rounds two, man, because he understood that if he stays on the outside with Arlovsky, Arlovsky is going to beat him to the punch every time, kind of like how you saw his last fight and some other fights. When he made that adjustment, he's like, man, I got to go after this guy. I can't sit back. I got to move forward, and I got to really make this guy fight, and that's exactly what he did those last two rounds, and I thought he clearly won the last two rounds. Now, getting into this fight with Tybora, 
I'll tell you why he went out there and stopped him. Look, Ty, I've made fun of Ty Bora a bunch, a bunch of times, man. I mean, I've called him, you know, this and that. But look, who ain't nobody else went out there and actually went out there and put him down quick like that. And the reason why is Sakai made a change in his diet, man. He, uh, you know, he. It was like I said, he was cutting down the 265 pounds. The guy's a giant. Guess how much he weighed for the uh, for the Martin Sabora fight? 258 pounds. That means my boy has really been putting in some work. He's trying to get a little faster because he was a little bit on the slower side. And I think that Arlovsky fight kind of opened his eyes. Now you see him a little bit lighter, comes out there, corners Tybora, and just absolutely unloads on him to a point. Now with this fight with Blagoy Ivanov, I think it's right up his alley. I think he can play that parry game in the pocket with him. And then you know, Blagoy pretty much just likes to play a simple pull, slip, you know, return game with the with the left. And I think that if he does that with Augusto Sakai, he's going to lose a decision, A, because, I, like I said, I think Sakai, Sakai's got the prowess to, you know, you know, flow with him in that pocket, kick, you know, uh, box with him a little bit, throw combinations, as whereas, you know, Bagoy is just going to be looking to uh, just throw lefts and, I think that, uh, you know, he can also get a knockout as well, man. You saw Blagoy get wobbled hard against against uh, Tai Tuivasa, but Tai Tuivasa is a slop job, man. He he doesn't know, uh, I mean, I mean, dude lost the fucking, what's his name? Uh, who did fucking Tuivasa just lose to? What's the, the dude that Walt Harris? Spivak. Spivak, bro. Fucking, I think, you know, I know Tuivasa beat Arlovsky, but I, I think that, you know, Bogoy Ivanov was a little bit overrated. Um, he's still a very tough guy. I mean, you know, he's been through a, a stabbing one. I'm not saying he beat Fedor and Judo, and, and but I, I don't think there's a possibility he takes Sakai down. I think Sakai comes out here and puts pressure on him, avoids that left hand, and, and either knocks him out or wins a decision. So I'm going to go with Augusto Sakai here for the win. Yeah, look, uh, I think that Blagoy Ivanov's game has been figured out. He loves to step back and counter the entire time. Granted, he does have some good takedowns, too, from the clinch of the body locks. Uh, you know, he did beat Fedor in that Sambo match a million years ago. I still haven't seen that match. I need, I need to watch it sometime, Shaq. Maybe someone can send me the link uh, to the Fedor versus Blagoy uh, Sambo match. But, look, bottom line is that... Sakai, one thing he brings to the table is his Muay Thai is on point, and he's been getting better. He's been making improvements. Now he's got his diet on point, and when you watch him back in the Bellator days compared to now, it's night and day, and it's interesting because these two, I think it was in talks to fight for a Bellator title back in the day, but it just never materialized, and now it's happening here in a co-main event in the UFC, so I'm really excited, but look, the bottom line is I think that Sakai is the younger man, the taller man, the guy with the longer reach, the guy that throws more volume, the more durable guy, and I say more durable because, I mean, look, Blagoy is extremely durable. Don't get me wrong there, but I think if one man's going to get knocked out in this fight, it actually will be Blagoy Ivanov, and this might be the first time that he hits the deck, and I do like what Sakai brings to the table, man. Uh, big improvements every fight, and just uh, Muay Thai for a heavyweight, you know, uh, the way he throws those punches, uh, you know, those combinations in the pocket, and he knows his distance really well. The kicks, the knees, I like what he brings to the table, and I think he's going to beat the very tough uh, Blagoy Ivanov on Saturday night in the co-main event. Main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we got the former champion Tyron T. Wood Woodley. He's 19-4, and four, and Gilbert Dorino Burns is 18-3. and three. Currently, they got Tyron Woodley minus 175. The comeback on Gilbert Dorino Burns is plus 155. Shaq, this is an amazing fight. Uh, 
for many reasons. Look, uh, with uh, Tyron Woodley, like I alluded to at the beginning of the show, a lot of people, if they want to make a case for him, they might say, you know, he didn't show up his last fight or the last fight was a fluke. It was not a fluke. When he loses fights, that's how it tends to go down. Like, he won't throw shit. And if you pressure him and bring the fight to him, you can beat him bell to bell, as not just Kamaru showed, but Rory McDonald showed. Even Man, Jake Shields, like- who's nowhere near the technical level of Tyron Woodley. Oh, my bad. Were you saying something? Yo, it's like they forget when my boy Jake Shields walked him down in the pocket for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like, Jake Shields was out there uh, throwing whatever he wanted with his chin straight up in the air. Ugly-ass technique, and he was getting the better of the exchanges because Tyron sometimes refuses to throw. If you put the pressure on him, I don't know what it is, but he's going to stop throwing. And people criticize Tyron for, you know, backing into the fence, but I don't because that's his style. Look, he's going to back into the fence, win, lose, or draw. It does not matter what the fight is. That's just what's going to happen. I mean, when he won the title against Robbie Lawler, the bell rings, he backs himself into the fence. So let, let Tyron do his thing in that respect. But the place that I have an issue, not necessarily in this matchup, but just in general, is that the volume is just not on point. And even in a fight like that first Wonder Boy fight where he landed so much more damage than Wonder Boy, it was actually a draw because Tyron didn't do enough. And it's like when Tyron decided to take him down, dude, he held his arm behind his back and pounded him in. It's like, hey, just take him down the second round. Uh, Let's guarantee ourselves this round. But instead he stares at him the second round. It's like, Tyron, please. Like, It's kind of like what Dana said, like, you know, the dude, if you created him on the video game, he's got all the ratings at 99, but you need the right person behind the joystick. And when Tyron is on his game, when he decides to let things go, he is one of the scariest men in welterweight history. I mean, look at his resume. Beat Kelvin Gastelum. And he didn't just beat Kelvin Gastelum. He beat him in a three-round decision. I watched it the other day, and Tyron won that fight, okay? He won the first two rounds. Kelvin finally came back on in the third, but... Tyron, look, Tyron can win three-round decisions, too. He can win five-round decisions like he did against Wonderboy. He can also knock guys out in the first round like he did to Robbie. And he can defend uh, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt's takedowns like he did to Damian Miles. So, in a way, Tyron Woodley's the complete package. But that ass-whooping he took to Usman, I mean, me and you knew the fight was over 30 seconds in. But when you watch that fight and... You know, you compare it to these other fights where people like to joke, oh, he only threw 10 strikes in this fight. He only threw 15 strikes in this fight. Well, that's 15 more strikes than he threw against Usman because against Usman, there wasn't even any dog in him. There wasn't any urgency in him. And I'm trying to wonder if that's, you know, every couple years, you know, he's going to have that kind of stunt performance or if that was simply a sign that, hey, my man's getting close to 40 years old and maybe his body is shutting down a little bit. So... That, that's one question I have because I know when he's on his game, he's one of the best. Now, with Gilbert Durinho, the thing that makes this fight interesting is that he's not necessarily known for his pressure. But I got to say, I've really grown in appreciation for Gilbert Durinho's fighting style the last few days because initially I was like, oh, he had close fights with Gunnar Nelson and Kunchenko. Those guys are nowhere near the level of T-Wood, and that's 100% true. But I like the fact that he digs deep in these fights. And, you know, against Gunnar Nelson, he got that takedown late in the third round. Against Kunchenko, he kind of gassed out bad in that third round. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't talk about that right now. But I think he's going to be in better shape here. It's just when you think about it, the issues I've had with Gilbert Durino throughout his career is the striking defense. He's way too hittable. Now, the guy's got hella power i mean you can knock dudes the fuck out his calf kick game has been getting a lot better not to mention his unbelievable jujitsu if he takes tyron woodley's back or full mounts him or gets him in some of those positions that kamaru uzman got him in you know kamaru almost got an arm triangle at one point 
the fight might be over shortly after. It's just is Gilbert going to be able to take him to those spots? And I guess that's what's so intriguing for me because Gilbert isn't really known as a volume guy and, you know, a pressure guy like Kamaru Usman. He's got a different style. But, you know, he does have a path to victory. If he can mix up the calf kicks, you know, not go down to these early shots. It's just, man, he doesn't move his head and he keeps his hands kind of low as recently as that Damian Maya fight. So the openings are there for Tyron Woodley to knock him out. It's just, is Tyron Woodley going to pull the trigger on Saturday night? So... From a betting perspective, I kind of understand the case for both in the sense that, like, I understand taking a shot on Burns. If you watch uh, Tyron's last fight, like, and if that's any indication of how he's going to fight Saturday, then I completely understand the shot on Burns. Maybe we're looking at a shot fighter. But if that really was, you know, he just had an off night at the office and he comes back out here looking like, you know, vintage T-Wood letting things go, he's got some real advantages here. So... It's a tough one to call. I'm going to slightly lean towards the former champion, Woodley, because I think at his best that he's a better fighter than than uh, Gilbert Durino. The thing is, man, sometimes with these hungry guys, again, like we were talking about earlier, sometimes it's not the skill of the man. Sometimes it's the will of the man. But not to discredit the, the skill of Gilbert Durino because on the mat, his jiu-jitsu is world class, and you've seen what he's been doing with his hands lately. So I'm not counting him out. But I'm gonna slightly give the edge to the chosen one, Tyron Woodley, Shaq. Yeah, man, this whole this whole you know he had an off night thing is such a fucking joke, bro. Like, bro, he got if you back into the fence against Kamaru Usman, a caliber wrestler like that, he is going to beat your ass. That's exactly what happened. And Tyron's in denial, just like any other typical long reigning champion. You know, just like Dominic Cruz, like Joanna, like you know uh, Chris Weidman. He does, he just doesn't understand what happened. It's a good thing for him. He's not rematching Usman just yet because if uh, they were rematching, it'd be uh, it'd be Max Bet season. You know, so you know I think Woodley definitely is the better fighter in Burns. I mean, if you would have told me Woodley, you know, was fighting Gilbert Burns, uh, you know, a year or two ago, I'd have been like, bro, you're joking, right? Um, but, you know, we, we got circumstances and, hey, man, Gilbert got what he asked for. I mean, I think we've all been seeing him on, on Twitter for the last month or so, you know, making uh, memes about Tyron. You know, Tyron had to even block him, had to block him on Twitter. Tyron even hit me with that block button uh, a long time ago. You know, Tyron, Tyron's fragile, man. He's always been fragile. This is nothing new. Um, he's very, I mean, bro, me and you saw this man in a hotel in Atlanta when he won his title and he, and he was literally shunning fans away. I get, I mean, look, bro, do what you want, but you know, I saw other people, I mean, other, I get, he's the main event, but Robbie Lawler wasn't sh shunning fans away. You know, <laughs> Eddie Alvarez fresh off the RDA fight. Wasn't shunning anyone away. But, uh, you know, to my boy, Trevor Whitman, my boy, Trevor Whitman wasn't shunning fans away, but you know, uh, Look, I think Woodley's a prima donna. I think he's a, a, a mental case. I mean, he's admitted to, you know, I mean, even when he was champ, I, I never, I hate to call people, you know, overrated champs or, because, uh, I mean, you're the champion. So, you know, but I, I do think his performances as a champion were I, I you know, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the till, which was so-called the best one, you know, I mean, to be honest, you know, I hate to, you know, say things like this, but, Bro, Till shouldn't have, like I said about Kevin Lee and um, fucking Ferguson the other day, 
Bro, Till had no business being in a fucking title fight, man. Till, you don't give a guy a title fight after he misses weight by five pounds, and the fight itself was fucking questionable, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he was coming off a win against Boyan, let's listen to this, Boyan Velichkovic, Cowboy Cerrone, and a questionable win over Steven Thompson. Does that deserve a title shot to you? <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you know what I'm saying? but Shaq, just to take it a step further, because, you know, that is the best performance of his title run besides the Robbie Lawler fight, you know, and not to discredit it because he did come out aggressive, but like, it's easy to look your best when your opponent lands zero strikes in the fight when there's no resistance whatsoever, man. Till didn't want to be there, man. And, you know, uh, I mean, props to T. Wood. He went out there and put him in his place and showed him and showed him that he didn't belong in the cage with him. So props to him for that. But, you know, the it's always like something, man. The Damian Maya fight, I get it. You know, he stuffed his takedowns. But, bro, you are my fucking witness. Did I not fall asleep and did I not turn away from the TV and I said I don't want anything to do with this shit ever? <laughs> like, Shaq was, was snoring like, during that main event. You said what? I said Shaq was snoring during that main event. I, I, I literally fell asleep and was like, bro, I'm never watching T-Wood fight again. <laughs> like, you know, but not. Nah, but on a serious note, man, I think that Gilbert Burns, I don't want to say that some of his wins are, you know, circumstantial, but like, it's kind of good timing. You know, he came up, I give him props for taking out the 20-0 Alexi, and he took that fight on a couple weeks short notice, if I'm not mistaken. But man, he is making gains. You cannot deny this. It, it, you know, uh, I think at 170, man, he's definitely a, a different animal, man. He's confident. He's got momentum. Um, it's just that Woodley, even though I say all this shit about him, you cannot deny the fact that he's still an elite guy at 170. You know, he's only one fight array removed. I feel like this fight all comes down to the mental of T-Wood. Like, is this guy really back? You know, I know he switched up things a little bit. Um, he claims that he's taken a, a little bit less, but what we're forgetting is, man, like, the damage possibly could have already been done. I mean, he's already come out here and said the type of lifestyle that he was living. Now, I'm not going to get into, you know, specific details about what was going on, but trust me, there was a lot of shit going on in the background. Look, there still is a lot of shit going on in the background. There still is a lot of shit going on in the background, but when you add that shit mixed in with the TMZ shit, like, bro, gossiping about fucking models and, and, and fucking, you know, the Backstreet Boys isn't fucking gonna, you know, is not conducive to fighting, man. You know, I think that he got super carried away with how much things he was doing. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do think he's a better fighter than Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert, you know, no offense to Damian Maya, but... I mean, let's just be honest here. The well, the way to wait, the welterweight division been running trains on Damian Maya, bro. I mean, <laughs> with no condom, like straight up. I mean, let's just be honest here. Like, Kobe Covington, you know, went out there and absolutely left him in a pool of blood, followed up by Kamaru Usman. And then, you know, his two fights with uh, Good and Rocco were, you know, they were all right. But to sit here and say, like, and act like, you know, that was the Damian Maya that, you know, was, uh, you know, I mean, look, it's a, still a legend, but he still put him down in the first round, so I give him props. But it's not the same Damian Maya that Usman and Covington and Woodley be, you know. Um, but uh, it's a dog or pass situation, 100%, man. I, I just can't trust Woodley in that mental, bro. He thinks too much. He talks about a lot of things that don't matter. 
Um, but we'll see on Saturday night, man. I hope he wins. I hope he, you know he comes out here so he can get his rematch with Usman or or fight uh or fight Covington, you know something like that, or or get that re or the rebooking with Leon Edwards. And you know, but I, I'll tell you what, I actually think Woodley has a very clear path to victory, and and it ain't even the striking; it's the wrestling. You know, I feel like Gilbert Burns has good jujitsu, but I feel like his wrestling is nowhere near. Uh, T Woods level. I mean, like you said, Damian Maya was able to take his back, but that's not that's not the only one. Gunnar Nelson was able to have some good uh good positions in, on him in the clinch as well. Alexi in that third round as well. Um, so I think that T Wood. I I really don't see Gilbert subbing T Wood at all, man. I, I think that that. I think T Woods too strong, too powerful, and, and can really overpower him. And we've seen Gilbert kind of flop to his back at times when he's uh, overpowered, aka that Tractor Preserves fight, uh, you know, or the uh, or you know some moments in, in those fights that I previously mentioned. So you know, I, I think T Wood is a is a much better wrestler, and if he chooses to come out there uh, and implement that game plan, I think he'll be successful. As far as the stand-up goes, I know Gilbert Burns isn't necessarily known for this for his uh, like power, like you know, like like T Wood is known. But man, do not sleep on Gilbert Burns's power. I said he would knock out Damian Maya, but I, this guy's power is translating to 170. That left hook, that right hand that he's got, the bomb, aka is what he calls it. And man, him and his brother, man, they 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 throw bombs and. I think his stand-ups come a long way since the days when he fought Rashid Magomedov. So it's a dog passer situation because you got a guy that's making gains, fight to fight, and you got a guy who's a little bit mentally cloudy. Um, I'm surprised the the the, the odds makers opened this one so close on the opening line too, man. It it kind of made me like, man, it, it, they think that the the mental of T Wood is because, bro, bro, you would have told me a year or two ago that T Wood would have opened minus one. 140 against Gilbert Brown. I don't give a fuck how many wins he's on, you know, uh, one streak he's on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that that's a little uh, alarming to me. But uh, we'll see. Come Saturday night, I'll take T Wood to get a to get the win. But I think it's a dogger pass situation, and and I'm super excited, man. T Wood's got a lot to prove. You know, I know he's in denial right now, just like every other reigning, uh, long reigning champ is. So he's got to, uh, he's got to come out here and, and really prove that he's back, man. Because he, he's, he's talking some big smack, man. He, you know, he's saying shit about Leon and, you know, how Leon can't ever talk because George smacked him and, you know, this and that. And but it's just like, bro, you can't rap, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We'll see. I'm just, I'm just talking shit, man. I love, I love uh, playing with T Wood, man. He gets in his feelings a lot. Man, like, like you were alluding to. Look, if uh, prior to that Usman fight, you're telling me that Woodley's under two to one against Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I would have been like, whoa, like really? <laughs> <laughs> but that Usman fight, that counts for a lot, man. I mean, that was a hellacious five round beating. It counts for a lot because, bro, when you like he admitted he said he bought like seven fucking cars, bro. Like when you when you start doing shit like that, that means you have gotten sidetracked to a point, you know, beyond belief. And me and you already know the other things going on as well, mixed in with the, you know, like the fact that, you know, it was it wasn't you. Who was it then, bro? You back into the fence. Usman's the best wrestler in the fucking division. He took you down. And you got your ass beat. Like that's exactly what happened, bro. It's a you got to come to terms with those things. But uh, man, 
I, I, I'm, I'm questioning myself if I should be seeing this mental thing because, bro, everything this man has said for the last few months on, on, on social media has been like border borderline ludicrous, you know. <laughs> but you know, we'll see, man. I, I actually give. I thought he owned Dominic Reyes the other day uh, when he said when Reyes was like, "Why am I not in the?" the pound for pound rankings and Willie was like bro because you never beat no fucking champion or or like because I'm a, a former champion and you know you lost the championship round I thought it was a good I thought it was a good comeback so I'll give him I'll give him his I thought his comeback with Hooker was it was good as well so uh you know maybe T would is uh is getting his wits back a little bit yeah, man, I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, check out that podcast he did with Mike Tyson, actually. It was really cool. Uh, I'm not sure when it was filmed, but it was really awesome. And also check out Nganu on Mike Tyson's podcast. Shit's fucking badass. But, My boy Francis, Fra- Frankie Murder. Francis Nganu. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch? For UFC Vegas. My fight to watch is the main event, hands down. T Woods got he's got a point to prove this weekend, man. He's gotta he's gotta get his belt back, man. He's gotta prove to everyone that, that wasn't that wasn't him that night. So that's my fight to watch. And if Gilbert Burns comes out here and gets this win, the that would be a serious, you know, career transformation. Not to say that he was like on the verge of getting cut or anything, but to come up from, you know, getting knocked out against Hooker to, you know, now you've strung away strung four wins four wins in a row two against the two of the best welterweights ever to ever do it you know that would be super impressive and that would put him like one win away from a title shot if not get the title shot i know usman's his teammates why i say that for me my fight to watch is going to be spike carlisle versus billy quarantillo i mean this is an unbelievable fight that could potentially produce a future star especially if spike carlisle goes out there and gets that first round knockout but if not if billy quarantillo can win i just see him being kind of a solid you know, household name, kind of like a Joe Lozon. I could see him just being that exciting guy from Boston that uh, puts on a lot of fun shows. So regardless of the winner, I think Spike versus Billy Q is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN 9? My fighter to watch is going to be Jamal, my buddy Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, man. You know, sometimes I'm not right about my 205 prospects. A lot of them have let me down. But this guy, man, I, 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 I like what I see if he cleans a couple things up. And, you know, uh, 205, it really doesn't take that much to get ranked uh, in that division. You know, no offense, it's, it's one of the weaker divisions. But if he can get this win over uh, Clinton Abreu, man, he'll be, I mean, even with seven, eight fights, man, he'll be he'll be right in the thick of things. Maybe he can get a, a fight against, you know, a fringe top 15 guy after this. Clinton Abreu beat Johnny Walker, man. And that's just facts. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking out for Jamal Hill. Uh, shout out to Jamal Hill, friend of the show. Really cool guy and super exciting to watch. So I'm very excited to see what happens uh, on Saturday night with his fight. For me, my fighter to watch is going to be Daniel Rodriguez. Look, the reason why, and I understand this could be labeled as a mismatch, but the reason why I'm picking him to be my fighter to watch is because he has an opportunity to come out here. And if this is really the mismatch people say it is, well, then he better go out here and get a highlight reel finish. And if he does get a highlight reel finish, we're talking about two finishes inside the octagon. And when they show his little, you know, promo video you know the before a fight they're going to show the finish of means they're going to show the finish of gabriel green and this will set him up for a decent you know prospect showdown type fight maybe the rebooking with kevin holland or someone else uh, that can provide an exciting fight so i think if daniel rodriguez does his job here that he's definitely one of the fighters to watch 
Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday at the UFC Apex. Uh, Gilbert Durino Burns is trying to take out the former champion, Tyron Woodley. They can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Use Shaq's promo code SHAQ50 for 50% off. Use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off. Or use the promo code 2020 for 20% off our VIPs at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We truly appreciate all your support. I promise we're going to get back to these fan questions uh, ASAP. So thank you all for sticking with us. we got a lot of fights coming up, UFC 250 next week. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.